I have been in full-time ministry for 13 years now. And before I started my ministry career, you know, for lack of a better term, I had one instructor notice my goal-oriented zeal and offer a book from his personal library. And that book still sits on my shelf in my office, stamped with his seal on the title page. And I have Scott Pace to thank for warning me about the dangers of ministerial success syndrome. That's right, ministerial success syndrome. Over the years, I have learned a great deal about contentment in a society which teaches every person that his worth is based on what he accomplishes, how he identifies the truth of Christian contentment brings much happiness to an otherwise stressful life. I know all too well of the pastoral burden. We become motivated to do something we believe is from God. We push to get that thing done. We believe that if people just pray, they will come to our conclusions. For whatever reason, the thing does not get done. People are against it. Ministry feels stagnant. For, for me, it was opening a youth outreach center in Wilcox, Arizona. Now, the church I pastored was small and supportive at first, but when it came time to put skin in the game, I felt the congregation turn their backs on me. There I was, reaching thousands of people online and inciting community excitement about a new outreach center and reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and for whatever reason, I'm, I'm still not sure of all the reasons. But for whatever reason, the congregation I thought had my back turned bitter. I am sure that part of it was that I, their, their pastor, seemed more interested in making progress than loving the local congregation. But I'm not really sure. Perhaps I was. I see this need to make progress present in the lives of many fellow pastors. Sometimes it's difficult to say anything because a zeal for the cause of the gospel, evangelism, church planting, and revitalization, that's good. A zeal for those things is good. And in no way should any of that be discouraged. I don't want to discourage any of that, but I feel that when things don't happen according to our plans or what we believe God is leading us to do, we experience such disappointment because our expectations were not met. We feel we have invested much in people and for whatever reason, they still don't see things the way we do. Disappointment. That's an interesting word. Expectations are also interesting things. Disappointment occurs when our expectations are not met. People can experience disappointment in ministry, relationships, at work, home, in restaurants, and when trying to be entertained. Expectations are interesting because in order to have expectations, we must first feel that something must be a certain way. When we feel that something must be a certain way, we have placed great energy into defining shoulds and musts. It is easy for us to become convinced that something is God's plan because we believe it should be. Now, the two are not the same. What does the scripture say? This is Romans chapter 8 verse 28. Maybe it's familiar to you. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. How many things does God cause to work together? All things. For what outcome? For the, the good 
to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We are not the ones who work together whatever it is we think needs to be done. God works all things together. If whatever it is we want to accomplish does not happen, the text tells us that it is to our good if we love God and are called according to his purpose. There's there's no real reason for the disappointment we often experience other than we wanted something to happen and it didn't. Our expectations mean very little. We can avoid discouragement if we know from the start that God is the one working things together, not us. We can be better pastors when we realize that it is not up to us to make progress or to get things to happen. We are free to be content. We are free to serve our congregations without expectations based on what we feel or think. God's plan does happen. Remember, he's the one working all things together. His plan does happen. He may or may not work things together to see what we think ought to be done come to pass. There is a humility here, I think, to be learned and a liberating contentment to rest in. Malcontent leads to bitterness and burnout. I remember sitting in a seminary classroom at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, and one instructor asked, what is your metric to determine success in ministry? I, admittedly, I still have trouble answering this question because ministry is weird. We can't measure success by numbers, either people in seats or baptisms. We can't measure success by the number of churches we plant or the number of things we do in a year. We can't measure it by the number of votes going our way or the number of dollars earned or number of clicks and views online. Ministry is different. Too often, these, these metrics are the criteria by which we determine our own effectiveness as pastors. But what did the scriptures say? God is the one who works all things together, not us. So God causes numbers or lack thereof. He's working that together. God causes votes to go a certain way. He's working what all things together. God is the one in charge here. He does what he does, and he does it to our good, whether we like certain outcomes or not. Sadly, when our expectations are not met, our response is often to leave because we don't feel we are making the difference we want to make. That sounds very selfish and entitled to me, especially since we claim to believe in a sovereign and good God. I say this lovingly, um, and I say it as lovingly as possible, because I have been selfish and entitled in my ministry. And I think if we're just going to take an honest look at it, we all have. If we want to be sincere in our discussion, we all have been selfish in ministry. A ministerial contentment is not something that comes easily because of the pedestal many pastors are placed upon in the current cultural paradigm. And I wonder, using Paul as an example here, like how did Paul measure his success? What was his metric? In reading his letters, it is clear that his measure of success is his own faithfulness to God. He also consistently talks about coming before the congregations humbly and not with flattering speech or plans to do lofty things. Instead, look at what he says. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 24. Who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? 
for you, that's the congregation, for you are our glory and joy. This is how Paul saw the church. Never did he abandon a congregation or think he failed because things weren't quite right. Instead of seeing his accomplishments or ability to achieve some goal as his metric for success, he simply exulted in the people. The congregation was his hope. The congregation was his joy. The congregation was his crown of exaltation. The church was Paul's glory and joy. The gathered saints. I find that I have wanted to do many good things in my ministry career. I have experienced disappointment when some of those things could not happen. But look at the example we have in Scripture and see that the ministry is different from any worldly profession that measures us based on our productivity. Who is our hope and joy and crown of exaltation? Is it what you are able to accomplish? Or is it simply the congregation of God? Is it numbers? Is it church votes? Or is it the people of God? Asking this question has drastically changed my own ministry dynamic and philosophy. It has empowered me to become a better servant and to love the congregation I serve without burdening the people with my expectations, which may or may not be good. Contentment in ministry is freeing and relaxing and creates a better environment for grace-based relationships. My father-in-law, a great mentor to me in the faith, puts it this way, don't trade out something great for something good. Planting a church may be good, but exulting in the congregation is great. And the body of Christ grows spiritually as a result. Now, if this is the case, our metric for success is our faithfulness to God and trust that he is truly working all things to our good, and it's our our love for the congregation. The congregation is our joy, not the other stuff, not everything we could do. And this can be difficult because it's not really a, a measurable metric. We can't chart growth. We can't input data. People will still struggle with things even after we have invested in them. And in light of this, all I can say is, brother, fellow pastor, relax. God does not require progress reports like the world does. Remember, he is the one working all things together. Now me, I'm I'm goal-oriented. If I can't track growth, I get burned out because... Because I I feel like I am just spinning my wheels or wasting my time and energy. Which is not the case in ministry because ministry is different. I have realized that my need to move forward and upward, which can be godly, often actually hurts the congregation of God because I try to force things that should not be forced. I have to learn how to relax in ministry. To stop doing too much and simply love the people without ulterior motives or agendas, even if I think those motives, those agendas, are right and good. A typical day, then, if I am a workaholic, so to speak, in the ministry, and and I was, right, consists of me not only keeping strict office hours for study and prayer, but also carving out time for outreach, personal evangelism, and visitation. Even when at home, I would work on sermons, think about plans for the church, logisticize, because we were experiencing numerical growth. I would design children's programs, write podcasts and blogs, and plan big things I wanted to accomplish. I would strain myself in prayer over the plans I had, and, of course, 
always felt it God's will to do the things I wanted to do, achieve things in the name of God for his kingdom. I did much. God worked it together to the good of his people, of course, because that's what he does, and he always does that. But in all honesty, it was too much. I was trading something good in place of something great, simply exulting in the congregation like we see in Scripture. There was nothing wrong with doing big things from our perspective, right? Of course, the big things we think are big things are often very small things from God's perspective. But there's nothing wrong with doing big things from our perspective. God's plan, though, for the church is much simpler and better. I was often stressed because of church work or church people and carried the weight of the world on my shoulders, even though I knew it was Christ's burden to bear, not mine. And for the sake of all that is holy, I needed to chill. I needed to learn how to not work so hard because ministry is different. The church is different. It is not a worldly pursuit. I think too many pastors try too hard to pastor and lead when they should be resting in the Christ who finished the work at Calvary. I'm not saying evangelism is bad. I think it is good. I think it is necessary. But the weight of the world and success of the kingdom does not rest on your shoulders, pastor. It rests on Jesus, and Jesus is your rest. Being goal-oriented, I need something to focus on so that I don't feel like I'm accomplishing little or nothing in ministry because those results are largely invisible. So I have learned to hobby. I give myself a measurable way to plan, logisticize, and do things by woodworking and crafting custom projects for other people. With my hobby, I can track projects from start to finish and enjoy the satisfaction of accomplishing work, which we were designed to do. In my opinion, every pastor needs a hobby that is not also pastoring or preaching. He needs a way to work with his hands so he can step back and say, it is good, and be satisfied with his work. Pastoral ministry is often not fulfilling because we are not designed to be filled by ministry, at least professional ministry. In fact, look at the qualifications for pastoral ministry in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and you'll see something quite extraordinary and let me just read this for you this is 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 7 it is a trustworthy statement if any man aspires to the office of overseer it is a fine work he desires to do an overseer then must be above reproach the husband of one wife temperate prudent respectable hospitable able to teach not addicted to wine or pugnacious but gentle peaceable Free from the love of money, he must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now, just assigning the character qualifications, gentle, hospitable, peaceable, free from the love of money, speaks volumes about the disposition of a pastor. Someone who does not force his agenda, who is gentle with the congregation, who facilitates peace by what he does, and who is hospitable. He exults in the congregation. 
In essence, he is fulfilled and satisfied in life already as a prerequisite to ministry. Now, I think the reasons are twofold. One, so that he will not forsake the congregation God has given him to serve. And two, so that he will not become burnt out or discouraged. This is why new believers are not to be pastors, so that they will not become conceited, right? Thinking their plans are the plans for the church, right? And so fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. For any pastor, then ministry is not to be the preeminent thought or passion. Pastoral ministry is for those who are content and serving without pastoring a church. And if we want joy in ministry instead of stress or unnecessary church hurt, we will learn to be content and rest in Christ, who wants to give us that. It is possible to be happy in ministry, and the sad reality is, in our zeal to do good things, we often drive the wedges that cause conflicts and the body of Christ. We shoot ourselves in the foot, so to speak. We don't realize we do it until it is too late. Our intentions are good, but we aren't about our intentions, are we? We are the people of Christ. He is Lord. And as pastors, we can facilitate unity and maturity in our congregations, but but that requires our humility, not our insatiable need to, to drive progress. And when we are more about our intentions than exulting in the people, despite how good our intentions may be, I think God may stand against us and unnecessary divisions may develop in our ranks. And so, brothers, I invite you to consider humility, to rest in Christ again, to remember what it's like to be content, to find a hobby, and to not measure your ministry by the metrics that that cause the problems that we try so hard to avoid.